Kill the silence. Kill the silence. That was uh, that was radio silence. That was podcast silence. Silence of the lambs. Silence of the lambs. How you doing? I'm okay. You know what drives me crazy? Just before we came on here. I think you have a long list of things that drive you crazy. I do. I do. But this one is especially, it's probably my fault. But you know when you have a thumb drive, a regular old USB, which I mm-hmm. just tried to do into the computer. I Every time I go to put it in, I would say nine times out of ten, I go to install it into the computer and it's upside down. Yeah. <laughs> like almost fucking every time. 50% chance. Yeah. And it goes, you know what? It goes back to what I've said before and I'll probably say it again is that companies need to solve people's problems. And the new USB-C thing, which I clearly need an update on my computer to get that, it's double-sided. If that's your biggest problem in life, I want to be you. I know. you. Everybody wants to be me. Fuck. <laughs> Welcome to Taming the Hustle. Or something of the sorts. going to have a great episode today. I think so. I think so. What do you got for us today? Lifetime capital gains exemption. Whoa. That's heavy. Yeah. It's uh, it's misunderstood and we can't get into all the intricacies and all the rules, but uh, we're just going to have a brief high level conversation to help people understand how it works. Nice. So the lifetime capital gains exemption is a tax exemption that uh, Canadian controlled private corporations would qualify for. Okay. So If you're selling your business, there's typically two ways. It's going to be an asset sale or it's going to be a share sale. Okay. Therefore, if you're incorporated and I want to buy your business, I have the ability to buy the shares of your corporation and take it over. And I also have the ability to simply buy all of your assets and transferring those assets to my own corporation. Gotcha. Typically, as the buyer, it's more advantageous from a tax perspective to do an asset purchase. And for the seller, it could be much more advantageous to do a share sale. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. So to be a Canadian-controlled private corporation or a qualified farming corporation that operates their primary business in Canada and that the majority shareholders are Canadians. Okay. Okay. So that's the first smell test. Yeah. And, and then to qualify for the lifetime capital gains exemption, you also have to have 90% of your business income as active business income. So what that means is if you have more than 10% of your business income is passive income, it could disqualify you for the lifetime capital gains exemption. So what's the most common? Well, if you have, say, a million-dollar company and you have more than $100,000 in the bank, that's considered passive income, and it could disqualify you for the lifetime capital gains exemption. If you have uh, life insurance policies inside the corporation with lots of cash value, that is also considered passive income. Okay. And the third most common one would be the real estate. So if you have rental income, rental income is considered passive income. So you have to make sure that you're having conversations with your tax accountant long in advance to make sure that you're setting up your corporation to qualify for the lifetime capital gains exemption. And the reason why is that in 2022, the lifetime capital gains exemption amount is 913. 
$630. So, so nearly a million dollars. That means that if you sell your business for 5 million, it means the first 913,000 is going to be tax exempt. So you can essentially pull that out of your corporation Uh tax free. And then you would only pay the capital gains tax on the balance of the sale. Gotcha. And if you have a family trust set up, so let's say you and your spouse and even potentially your children or parents and whoever else is named in the family trust, could actually multiply that capital gains exemption. So for example, Megan and I, if we sold the business for say $2 million as an example, we would qualify for more than $1.8 million of tax paid capital. Oh, wow. Right? That's a huge difference. Well, it's significant. So it's important when you have the ability to qualify to utilize the lifetime capital gains exemption to do so at all cost. If you even think you may qualify, it's really important that you take care of business and make sure that you set yourself up to pass the smell test. When you first told me this, it was new to me. I had never realized this was a thing. And in talking to other business owners who are incorporated, I remember mentioning it for the first time to somebody and them saying, oh, I had no idea that's a thing. And like I did, it was almost like a radio ad right there or a a social media ad. Or PR. Or PR. I was like, hey, hashtag call Renee. (laughs) Because I'm like, I'm just telling you what I kind of know from a conversation. And this shit's way fucking bigger than me. And at least he knows he's got his ducks in a row and shit like that. But I feel like this is something that, not that it's hidden, but I think that just a lot of people don't know about it. I think people are aware that there is something to do with the capital gains exemption, yeah. but most people misunderstand it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for the dummy like me, how would you explain it? Like if I'm going to explain it to somebody else, uh, I want to recommend you or I want to recommend any certified financial planner or just capital gains in itself. How do I explain that because for me it's a it's a huge concept and i i find i stumble on my words i'm not making any sense how do you wrap that up in a nice little package well first of all uh you have to look into this sooner than later uh so be aware of it okay but how do you explain it is essentially you will save on your nine hundred and thirteen thousand, approximately two hundred and fifty thousand in income tax oh wow shit so the way to explain it is to say, do you want to save $250,000? Yeah, you just make it rain. Tax? You're like, do you want to save money? And they're like, hell yeah. And then you just start making it rain. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I love making it rain. It's like the bearer of good news. That's right. Exactly. So getting back to that, it's really important that you get your ducks in a row. You do everything you can to qualify. Sometimes you can't. Like real estate corporations won't qualify. Okay. So let's say you're BC's kingpin and you've got $250 million in real estate assets in a corporation. Yeah. You will never qualify because real estate and rental income is considered passive income. Gotcha. So not every business is a candidate. Yeah. You have to pass all of the smell tests yeah. and be able to check all the boxes. And like I mentioned, you can multiply that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So let's assume your family has a $10 million company. Mm-hmm. Well, by multiplying the capital gains exemption through your family trust, you have you, you have Aaron, you have Lucas, and you have Peyton. You're looking at nearly $4 million that you're able to pull from the company yeah. tax free when you do a share sale. It's definitely a conversation to be had with your CFP because it's, uh, it's a fucking grand scale. For sure. And looping in your tax accountant as well. Yeah, very important. I urge you to have the conversation. Nice. You have about 30 seconds to go have that conversation right now while we take a quick break. You're going to need more time. Did you just realize planning your retirement isn't an easy do-it-yourself? It pays to get it right. 
Benefit yourself long-term by future-proofing your financial goals. Hashtag call Renee, certified financial planner of St. Cyr and Associates. Welcome back. Hey, we're still here. What's on the agenda for you today? Algorithms. Oh, nice. Yeah, it sounds like a superhero. Algorithm. What's that? Is it a bird? It's a plane? No. No, it's an algorithm. No, listen, I want to talk about uh, the fight with algorithms because it is a huge fight, not only for myself as a marketer, but for the average business owner, for the, the person who's trying to become famous on social media. Algorithms are literally the ass kickers of social media. The devil. They're the devil. So algorithms are how social media platforms filter, rank, organize the content you see based on a specific criteria. This means that what we see is based on what the algorithm thinks we want to see. And then it'll prioritize that content, uh, whether it's paid or sponsored or by a content creator, doesn't matter. And so I see it a lot on social media, especially those, the, the content creators who are trying to just make a name for themselves. There's a woman I follow. She does women's clothing styles at a reasonable price and she always posts the stuff and she has such a huge following. And then all of a sudden, just recently she posted and said, Hey, I'm not sure if you guys are seeing my stuff because no one's liking it and it's okay if you don't like it, but I feel like the algorithm has sent me into a spiral and I can't get my stuff in your feed now. I've fallen and I can't get up. Exactly. So it's an important thing to kind of look into, but it can sometimes kick you in the ass because no matter how hard you try, it seems like you can't get out of that hole. So how do you get to understand them? You got to start thinking about what the algorithms track. So what they track is what you like, how you engage, your post frequency, and how much time you can keep followers on your profile or the app in general. That's a lot more difficult than people think it is. Oh, 100%. And so when it comes to it, like platforms have worked hard to create a decline in organic search because they created this pay-to-play money mill, you could say. Hey, I rhyme there. That's going to be my next rap album. Do it. Do it again. Creating a pay-to-play money mill, you could say. (laughs) See, that's not bad. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) That's what I say. But the fucking frustrating part is you pour your heart into your content, whether it's organic or paid, and then all of a sudden, very little people see it. You click on the analytics and you look at it and you're like, it's only reached 13 people in the last 24 hours, but yet you have 3,000 followers. It makes no sense. It doesn't. And they've made it that way because if you're organically doing it, or even if you're paying to do it, the social media platform has said, we don't think you're good enough to show to everybody. We don't think your content's good enough, so we're, we're going to put you in the, in the cellar and hopefully somebody finds you. How do you overcome that hurdle? So you have to play the game. You, that, that's as simple as I can say it. But how do you beat a computer? So you beat a computer by playing against it. So you engage with your followers because the computer likes when you talk to other people. So you could be, I don't give a shit if you're Nike. I don't care if you're Coca-Cola. I don't care if you are a candle maker in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. If you are talking to your followers, responding, going to their profiles and responding, now all of a sudden that computer, that algorithm is saying, oh, hey, they're responding, which means there's going to be probably a response back. So we should put them in the mix a little bit. Let's lift them up the ladder a little bit. And then you start creating content that your followers will enjoy and engage with. So a lot of content out there is just content. You see it. You may like it, but probably not. So that's why you never stop me from chatting with my peeps on social media. Correct. I love when you chat. 
And when you create content that creates a conversation, I want people, when we create content for you, I don't give a shit if they're going to, it's great if they give you a like, but it's even more important when I ask a question and they answer that question, or we put a picture up that I know they're going to, everyone wants to talk about, like we did one for dogs before, and I knew everyone wanted to share a picture of their dog. So that's what we did. And guess what? All these dog pictures came and that little motherfucking algorithm said, hey, this guy's important. This company's important. Let's move them up the chain. All thanks to Jack. All thanks to Jack. Hashtag plan with Jack. He's a he's a little French bull. He's your little French bulldog. My little blue French bulldog from Hungary. He's he's hungry, all right. He's a little monster. He's like a, I should have called him Einstein. Actually, he's like an idiot savant. <laughs> he's like one of the smartest dogs I've had. Dogs since childhood. I don't really know much of a life without dogs, and he's got to be the smartest dog I've ever had. But so stupid at the same time. <laughs> He's just rambunctious. Does he know what E equals MC squared is? Yeah, I think so. He, does he just, say, yeah, he so just, smart. oh, he barks out the answers like does, there's no eh? tomorrow. Well, that's how you get treats. <laughs> uh, I do love him to death, though. Oh my God, I can't imagine a life without a little Jack. Oh, for sure. So the other most important thing is time. So post when your followers are online and your analytics can tell you that. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You need to figure out when your followers are online and you're going to learn that by doing posts here and there at the beginning and saying, shit, no one, no one responded at Monday at 11 a.m. But oh my God, Friday at noon, that is prime time. See, I wait for you to tell me that, but how does someone figure that out on their own? So you can go online and see different things of when content is up on Facebook and Instagram, but then you have to start to play with it. So I looked at those trends. Just play with it. Yeah. I looked at those trends and said, okay, you know what? Monday to Thursday between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. is the hotspot for Facebook. And so, but that's worldwide, right? And so now we started posting at that time. And we started posting, we made posts at 11 o'clock. We made posts at 12. We made posts at 1. And we started to see, and we found the trend was more like 1.30 actually, that most of the people you follow and that follow you are online. And that's what we want. We want to post when they're scrolling through their feed so they can engage with it. Again, fooling that algorithm robot, right? Uh, The other thing is post frequency and consistency. You want to make sure that you're posting frequently, but not too much, depending on your business. But you want to be consistent of how much you are posting. Because people come to expect to see something. It's like it's like our podcast, right? We've made the promise. So if all of a sudden some week we decide we're not going to do a podcast this week, and all of a sudden people come to see us, now they're probably not going to come back, right? They're like, oh, where'd the consistency go? It's like skipping a Ted Lasso episode. Oh, my God. I don't know what I would ever do if that happened. It's just so crazy. The last thing we're going to say about algorithms and a way to fool them and stop fighting with them, it's painful to say, is use all of the features of that social media platform. So if you're on Instagram, post, put reels up, put stories up, DM people just for no reason. DM your friends from your business account and say, hey, what's up, buddy? Just to fool that algorithm. Comment on stuff, right? And when someone comments to you, comment back. I know it's a lot of work, but that's what fools the algorithm. I was doing that subconsciously. Yeah. And engage, like I say it, engage with your followers. I personally think if you make your social media platform look pretty, you're already ahead of the game. And the other thing is color. Some people you'll see influencers who have, as you're scrolling through their feed, you're like, wow, it's all green this week. 
And then the next week, all their pictures have lots of red in them and it looks pretty. And, you know, they think it's important. And sometimes algorithms can think that's important. But at the same time, I think it's just more of visually. If you can make your your page look sexy, then it doesn't matter that you have all green together and all red together. It can help because it might bring people to you. But don't kill yourselves trying to say, okay, I got to wear a red shirt today. Yeah, I'm going to wear a red shirt and I I don't have any blue in my office. So I'm going to buy a blue chair. Like, don't just waste, don't waste time and money trying to figure out how to make colors. Just make your shit look good. That's all that matters. Sexy is good. Yeah. Hey, when we come back, I want to talk about my favorite topic. And don't, uh, before you go, I I know you're never really mean to me, but don't just, we're not going to call me fat because I like food. Food. Let's talk about food, baby. Let's talk about you and me. See you in a minute. Retirement is a lot like gambling. You try to have as much fun as possible without running out of money. Live well today while planning to live well tomorrow. Hashtag call Renee, certified financial planner of St. Cyr and Associates. So let's let's talk about food. I want to I want to kind of dive in. I think I know what your favorite, like your comfort food is. I love food. Let's make something very you clear. Do. I love food. Rene Boudreau, CFP, loves food. <laughs> I'm a foodie. I love food as well. And I find when I tell people what my comfort food is, they're kind of surprised. They're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. So I, and again, I think I might know what yours is, but not a hundred percent. So I want you, you know, what is your comfort food? I, part of me wants to think it's some seafood, but then I stray away from that. And I think it's more on the, because when we were in high school, I used to go to your house, we'd have pastas, we'd have soups. So I think I'm somewhere in there. I think you're pretty warm. Yeah, I'm pretty warm. I love food so much. Like I, I, here's an example. Get off the plane in Vancouver. I have my luggage bag. I have my carry-on bag. And I'm walking down the street. And before I even check into my hotel, I stop for a little appetizer at a nice little Italian shop. Nice. I have a couple of little meatballs and a glass of vino. Walk down to the next corner. Oh, there's a really nice Japanese place. <laughs> stop in, have just a little snack of sushi. That's amazing. Then there's a steakhouse. I'm like, oh, I got to try their steak. So I have like a tiny, tiny piece of steak. And then make one last stop, whether it's faux noodles. And I've done this like pretty much everywhere I go is that I have to have food experience. Like it is orgasmic to me. Yeah. It is so part of my my values. It's part of my heritage growing up. Yeah. Like my mom lived in the kitchen. I'm from a family of five. My mom raised us as a stay-at-home mom. And I just remember her singing kids songs to us <laughs> while prepping an enormous amount of food for the family. It's awesome. And it just stuck with me. Like music is good for the soul. Food reunites people. Yeah. We're a big French family. And like most, we gather around the kitchen. No one's sitting on the sofa. And food is just so much about culture and family and people and yeah. connectivity. Like, anyway, I, I so passionate about food that it's hard to say. I used to date this Italian girl long ago, and that was the first experience with Italian family. Oh, that European culture. It's so awesome. Well, the funny thing is, first time I went over for dinner, I was like, okay, you know, got served the, the, the first course, I guess, and I ate it. And I was like, well, that was a pretty big, like, I'm starting to get full. 
And then it was like, do you want more? And I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. And they're like, well, no, you have to have more. You're skinny. And even though I wasn't skinny and it was just kept piling it on, piling it on. I'm like, and I kept thinking, cause they that's had, why you're not skinny anymore. Exactly. That's why I had to break up with her. Damn you Italian yeah. girlfriend. So they had doors to their kitchen, like, you know, the little folding or the swinging doors. So I couldn't see in the kitchen, but I thought there has to be a whole fucking thing of pasta back there. There's got to be a store. truck. A grocery store. Yeah, there's got to be a grocery store because she just keeps coming up with more pasta. Like, how does it happen? And it reminded me of you because whenever you cook for us, it could be sweet potato fries, something as simple as that. And I'm like, hey, it's just the two of us. And, you know, I'll help you cut some sweet potatoes. And you have these giant ass sweet potatoes. I'm like, oh, just one's good. And you're like, oh, let's cut them both up. And I'm like, well, yeah, but we have all this. Oh, let's just keep going. And it's like, and then we have leftovers and then you make crazy dishes from the leftovers. The spinoff. Yeah. But it's not like when I make leftovers, if I make steak and potatoes, the next day we are having leftover steak and potatoes. There's no steak left. Then we're having potatoes with something else. With you, all of a sudden the potatoes could become part of our breakfast. The broccoli becomes part of our lunch and it's in a pasta now and it's all over the place. I love it. So when you say you're a foodie, that's not an exaggeration. This guy's crazy. I love food. Well, look. One year we created a, a cookbook a for cookbook. our clients. I know. Thanks to your bright idea. Sometimes. <laughs> no, it's awesome. <laughs> Listen, let's get back to the subject. Yeah, comfort food. Comfort food. What to is me, it? comfort food is some of the staples my mom raised us with. Okay. Like a really good stew in the wintertime. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so, so good and it's soothing. Or a really good soup. Yeah. But I think hands down. My favorite comfort food is my mom's homemade spaghetti sauce. And she often makes it with deer meat, which makes it even better. That's delicious. And some really good mild cheddar grated over top of it. Yeah. Oh my God. With just the perfect amount of salt. Mm, So good. And it has to be spaghettini. Spaghettini. Because the spaghetti noodles are just a little too thick. It just takes away. You have a little more of the al dente feeling of the spaghettini. Oh my God, dude. It's Man, orgasmic. That sounds, now mine's going to sound really weak. I tell you that. We have to get you back up to our hometown and yeah. go to my mom's and have, I, have her cook us dinner. I, I'm pretty sure, which sounds weird because we've been friends for I, as long as I can remember. I don't think I've ever had. It's so good that I try to replicate it and my daughters are like, yeah, it's good, but it's not as good as Kamaman's. <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm trying here. You're like, I have the recipe in my hand. I'm trying. (laughs) So what's yours, buddy? Mine isn't as, uh, as sentimental or whatnot. Mine was really discovered in college. And it was one of those things where I was away from everybody. And I really, the first few weeks of film school, you don't have many friends. Just like any time you go away, you're starting to try to communicate with new people. And we found this greasy spoon, this mom and pop greasy spoon. And we went for breakfast. Awesome. And we sat down, we had the greasy bacon and eggs and home fries and glass of apple juice. And it was one of those things where we would have conversations about nothingness. It it was like Seinfeld, right? It's like how the Seinfeld crew goes for breakfast. And I started to carry that into my adult years. And then I had a little break where it's like, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to, I don't go for breakfast anymore. I'm married with kids. I started to do it with my family. And all of a sudden it felt like I was back in the habit of going out for breakfast with somebody and connecting with them on more of an emotional level because you're sitting across from a small little table most times and you're just, you're talking about how good the food is. And it's hard to beat that Sunday morning breakfast oh, out, yeah. out at a restaurant. And, and 
you know, pre-pandemic and we're getting back to it now, but it's like I try to find a client or a friend that once a week I go out for that breakfast and just to have some one-on-one time, talk about nothing, even if it's a client, talk nothing about business usually. Or to just eat the greasy stuff to get over the hangover from the night before. That too, that helps, right? And so that- <laughs> We don't do that anymore. We're too old, right? I know, exactly. But yeah, early morning, it's just therapeutic for me, chatting with friends and family. And I find it gets me in the mood to start the day. I get excited that I'm going for breakfast. I get that food in my belly and then I'm off to start the day. And it, like, it's so ridiculous that I tell people, like I'll be in a meeting at three o'clock. I'll say, Hey, how's it going today? And you know, we shake hands like, good. How are you? I'm like, good. You know what? I had a great breakfast this morning with a friend of mine and I always bring up the breakfast and I don't know why, but to me, it's like, cause you're a weirdo. I am a weirdo, but it's therapeutic. It's, it's, it's comfort food. And it's one of those things where I just fucking love it. And I think I need to go for breakfast right now. One of my best breakfast experiences was actually with your kids, like pre pandemic. (laughs) <laughs> they were fairly young then. I don't even know why we ended up doing that. I think I had to run an errand or you guys were busy with something. Yeah. And I said, guys, I'm going to take you two out for breakfast. Yeah. Left mom and dad at home. And we just went for, yeah, we went to this little shop and and uh, we had bacon and eggs. And so Peyton has pancakes and uh, she's she's like, can you pass me the maple syrup? And uh, she starts pouring it. And I said, you can have more, you know. Oh, my mom never lets me put that much on. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, I'm not going to tell if you're not going to tell. She just fucking buttered it up. She ate She ate a little bit of pancake with her maple syrup. It was the cutest thing ever. But but even as young kids, you know, you end up having conversation when, oh, you know, know, you don't have your cell phone with you. You don't have any distractions. Exactly. You don't have the TV on. You're just sitting in a little diner having exactly. breakfast and conversation. So I could see why that would be a favorite of yours. Yeah, for sure. Hey, if you, uh, if you want to tell us about your favorite food, I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah. Post it on Instagram, wherever we'll find it. Check in. Yeah. Anyways, we look forward to it. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Daryl. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. See you. Ciao.